It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I think I'll call my boss, then I'm going to hack and cough and wheeze, he'll swear I got some strange disease. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Folkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Lauren... It seems like you were just so eager to talk about bacteria. I always want to talk about bacteria. They do great stuff. They they make cheese possible, kind of. They help us digest things. Yeah. Uh, they make us real sick sometimes. That's yeah. the best. It's very important. It Well, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah we've talked about uh, before about how bacteria actually make up more of us than we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, by cell count, yes, right? By not cell by count. mass. Yeah. yeah. Not by mass. I think by, by mass, it's count. something like four pounds. It's it's not all that much. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, we came across this really interesting article in Scientific American about bacteria. And even though we've kind of sort of talked about it a little bit in the past, I really wanted to do another episode about it because bacteria can talk to each other and that's so cool. Yeah. But Before we get to that, let's do a quick overview on just what bacteria are and 
why other than the pure scientific inquiry into how bacteria communicate, like how that would practically affect us? Right, right. So first off, I mean, this is going to be a, a review on like elementary science level, but it's important to build the foundation. Bacteria are very small organisms. Um, wait, mo- wait a second. Yes. What do you mean small? <laughs> so when we call, say, Matt Frederick a bacterium, we're not meaning that literally. Yeah, because he's he's actually the size of many bacteria. How many? <laughs> Bunches. More, more than four. Uh, so At least three dozen. We're talking about usually a single, single cell organism, right? That's typically what bacteria are. Um, uh, they lack though, cl- though exactly that fact is going to become interestingly complicated. Sure. <laughs> uh, they lack chlorophyll. Because if they had chlorophyll, then they would be probably more along the lines of the plant kingdom than of their own. Uh, they actually uh, belong to a kingdom called Prokaryota, and uh, that is be- they are they are not the only inhabitants of that kingdom. Uh, we they lack a nucleus, which is what puts them there. They're prokaryotic. Mm-hmm. That means that they do not have a, a nucleus or other uh, membrane bound organelles inside of them. Cell command center. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're just cell soup inside, yeah. kind of, sort of. Yeah. It's not like a, you know, the or the cells that we are in us, they're eukaryotic. They have a nucleus and membrane-bound uh, organelles and things like that. Uh, the other organism that's within that kingdom is uh, archaea. Those are the other uh, prokaryotic organisms. So their DNA is just contained within the cell itself. There's no nucleus there to hold it, unlike ours. Uh, it's a circular chain of DNA molecules that inhabit the bacteria or bacterium, because that's the singular, right? How come every time I search for stock images of bacteria, there are like a few kinds? They're, they're like the hot dog bacteria right. and the cheese puff bacteria right. and the uh and then i think curly maybe some spiral gigs spiral gigs uh, i always think of like like arby's curly fries yeah of, uh yeah mm-hmm. it's because it's <laughs> delicious bacteria yes, i like my bacteria covered in melted cheese sauce uh yeah that's because the bacteria do come in in generally in three general three shapes right you've got the spherical ones uh, you've got the rod-shaped bacteria, and then you have the spiral, the spirochete bacteria, which ma- always makes me think of uh, The Simpsons because there's the part where uh, uh, Lisa's teacher explains that she has Lyme disease, and then Ralph Wiggum draws a spirochete for her in, in, in her get well card. Oh. <laughs> I drew you a spirochete. Uh, I don't think I ever saw that one. You didn't see Was that. Is that one? a late season? No, no, no. That was the one where Lisa develops a crush on the replacement teacher who comes in. Oh, right, yeah, right. Because he he's he's very smooth talking mm-hmm. and doesn't talk down to the students and she just falls in love with him. Uh we usually use the word bacteria rather than bacterium because we tend to talk about a whole mess of them. It's very rare that you're going to talk about a single Bacterium, because bacteria rarely get lonely. No, they usually they usually get a a group of friends together, and if they don't have a big group of friends together, they work really hard to change that. Yeah. Um. So that's those those are your general like simple foundational facts about bacteria, and like Lauren was saying, there are tons of different kinds, even within these three main classifications of, of shapes. There are tons of different kinds. Some of them are beneficial to us. Some of them can make you very, very ill, and some of them we just don't really react. Like, there's no interaction. And some are pretty neutral. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of like a you know a D and D campaign, really. Yeah, you got some you got some that are like lawful good, and then you got chaotic evil, and then true neutral. So those are your basic types, uh, and then we got to get on over to the how how bacteria like the the unwanted kind, the stuff we don't want in our systems, how those can interact with us and make us not feel so great. And that's one of the primary reasons why we are interested as a human population, not the three of us in this room, in studying bacteria, uh, because obviously people getting sick is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want that to happen less often. Right. Uh, and instead, it seems to be happening more often. And our primary means of fighting bacteria tends to be using the use of antibiotics. But we're kind of in an arms race, aren't we? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Is It's that we come up with an antibiotic and then uh, bacteria can sometimes find a means to resist that antibiotic, thus making it less effective. Uh, any population of bacteria that still remain after an antibiotic has been moved through a system are more capable of resisting it in the future, thus creating kind of super bacteria. Yeah, it's evolution on the micro scale. And in this way, bacteria are kind of like the Borg. I mean, what (laughs) happens when you use a weapon on the Borg? They immediately recognize that attack. Once, If the attack is successful, they recognize it. They adjust their shields so that now it absorbs it. That's why you always have to vary the frequency. Right. (laughs) Except in antibiotics, we can't really vary the frequency. And we talked a lot about this. Well, not about Borgs, but about this general topic uh, in our episode, The Antibiotic Dilemma, which uh, came out in March of 2014. But right, you know, antibiotics, the point of them is to slow down the growth of bacteria, you know, either kill them or or slow them down Mm -hmm. to the point that your immune system can successfully fight off an infection on its own. Yeah. And the problem here is, is that bacteria, again, have a lot of friends hanging out with them. They multiply so fast and so densely that colonies can evolve to be resistant really, really quickly. Yeah, they they divide by uh, fission and they can do that within like 12 hours. So within a 24-hour period, the population can increase significantly. Uh, yeah, and like you guys were saying, it's hard for antibiotics to keep up with them because the mechanisms through which antibiotics kill bacteria tend to be really easily foiled by evolution. For example, lots of antibiotics kill by basically just stabbing bacteria in their outer cell walls, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sort of just making them rupture all of their cell guts, spill out dead bacteria. Uh, but... You know, critters with stronger cell walls will survive and multiply and future generations will be less likely to be harmed by stabbing. Hmm. So this is particularly an issue because we have become so dependent on antibiotics to solve bacterial disease problems. Like we use them as blanket measures in even healthy animals that we wind up eating. We prescribe them for sometimes non-relevant diseases or in cases that won't really significantly help the patient. We use them as blanket measures in in like our hand soaps and dish soaps instead of just promoting say, food handling and regular old hand washing, which are usually just as effective. Right. 
And, and this would be, I mean, this gets exacerbated if there's a misdiagnosis. Obviously, if you were prescribed antibiotics for something that ended up being a viral infection, it's not going to help you at all. Viral infections are different from bacterial infections. Yeah. So this is like if uh, in a universe populated by Borg, we used our best weapon against the Borg to, I don't know, clean the outside of our starships and then... Yeah. Oh, oh! Accidentally went past a Borg foot. Now they know how to stop it. Yeah, <laughs> that would that would be foolish of us. But yet, that's maybe that was a horrible analogy. I don't know. That's kind of what we do occasionally with you know. It's it's not that people are uh, uh, you know kind of doing a blanket carpet bombing with antibiotics. It's just that that it has been such an effective tool and has saved so many lives that the. The uh, desire to go to that early is very strong. Oh, sure. And, and before we realized that that these antibiotic-resistant strains were starting to develop, it seemed like a really great plan. Mm-hmm. And But then all of a sudden, we wound up with stuff like um, MRSA, which I can never pronounce the full <laughs> name of. I, I'm not even going to try. Methicillin-resistant like, Staphylococcus aureus. Yeah! There we go. It. Go, Joe! Yeah. Go, Wait, Joe! Wait, did I say it right? I... Th- I that sounds good to me. Methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Well, there we go. Now you know. And knowing's half the battle. The other Thanks, half Joe. is red lasers. That's right. The um, other way you could say is that it's staph. It's a staph infection that has become resistant to the antibiotic methicillin. Yes. See, because normally staph infections are just skin infections. But in hospitals, MRSA can cause deadly uh, blood and surgical infections and pneumonia, nasty stuff like that. It, it's This is also where we got stuff like gonorrhea that never goes away. Yeah, yeah bad times. So, OK, we still need to use antibiotics in some situations. They still save lots and lots of lives unless we can find some other way of fighting bacteria. And that leads us into a discussion about how bacteria act on moss because there, there's a there's a question that you have to ask yourself when you start looking at bacterial behavior, which is how can something this this very simple single celled organism, how does it know, quote unquote, when to unleash the kraken of bacterial infection upon a host? Uh, right, because even even bacteria that can typically be very dangerous to us are not always in their dangerous state. There, there's a few factors that go into whether or not bacteria make you sick. And that includes um, whether or not they're pathogenic, which is whether or not they're in like attack mode and how virulent they are, which is mm-hmm. um, how little stabby they yeah, are. Yeah, that's suppose. a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and are they hangry? How hangry are they? <laughs> and sometimes it's just that they have to wait until the population is a certain size. And then that's when they unleash the dogs of war or the Kraken or however, <laughs> whatever you want to. I'm going to just keep saying unleash stuff. It's like you're uh, you're you're playing Starcraft and you're trying to save up for a Zerg swarm. <laughs> right. Right. And you just you know, there's going to be one. You just you're not sure when. Uh, and, you know, it's not going to be something like you're not going to have a case where it's just one or two things coming at you. It's just going to be a mass of them. I, I apologize if I said that wrong. I've never actually played StarCraft. <laughs> I just know that's a thing. You just lost cred with me, Joe. You were like way ahead. All right. So. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So it turns out that bacteria, despite not having a brain or even a cell nucleus, 
communicate with each other. And it's in a, a really interesting way. The The way this was sort of observed early on was through um, an experiment in which some researchers were using bacteria called Vibrio fischeri, which is a type of bacteria that is luminescent. It, when, it, when there are a certain number of the bacteria, then they all uh, – in sync, luminous. They they Ooh, glow. It's glowing. Yeah. So they actually the there was a TED talk we watched in which uh, the the presenter showed a picture of a flask of this stuff, and it's just glowing green. It looks like you know the stuff you would see in a glow stick, uh, but in this case, it was just the bacteria that had reached a certain population density, and that's the key. They call it quorum sensing, mm-hmm. and by that, what they mean is. The bacteria are able to produce these sort of molecular um, uh, signals, let's say, chemicals that that are essentially saying, hey, I'm here. And uh, they're called autoinducers. And they also have sensors, this, this essentially a receptor that's on the bacterial cell wall. So there are message molecules and, and ways of detecting and these sensor molecules. molecules. Right. Yeah. And so what will happen is if the – Bacterium is all by its lonesome. It sends these autoinducers out, which just float away and nothing gets picked up. Yeah, it's not targeted. It's not like I am bacteria or bacterium Lauren. I am aiming at bacterium Jonathan yeah. to send a message. It's just like a hey. It's kind of hey. like imagine that you are <laughs> stranded on a de- deserted island and you have your, your you know collection of bottles and collection of parchment and you're writing down messages and throwing them into the ocean hoping someone picks them up. Same sort of thing. Or it could be that you are in a, a post-zombie outbreak s- safe haven with a radio transmitter and you're transmitting your location, your coordinates and saying, hey, we should – we humans should band together. Right. But you're doing it, you know – on a, a frequency that you've picked at random that people mm-hmm. may or may not be listening to. Mm-hmm. So as you get more of the uh, bacteria cells around, the there grows there's the density that grows of these autoinducer, these molecules that are sent out because all of them are, are emitting them, right? So you're mm-hmm. sending out more and more because the population's growing. Mm-hmm. When you reach a certain threshold, then the bacterial cells will be able to detect the presence of those autoinducers. And that is the message that to say, hey, express this gene that does something. In the case of the uh, uh, Vibrio fischeri bacteria, it was to luminesce, to, to glow. Uh, another way that this gene can be expressed, though, is in the production of biofilms, which is something I'm going to talk about in a minute. Right. Uh, yeah, there, there's a few different uh, autoinducer signals that can happen. Um, uh, the The on and off switch of, of pathogenesis, um, mm-hmm. the kind of scale of virulence, um, the formation of protective spores around I- individual bacterium, which which tell the bacterium, uh, hey, time to bunker down for a minute and hold on. Uh, and the also the creation of certain substances, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's kind of neat because this is not limited just to intraspecies communication. In other words, you could have a population of bacteria that can all communicate with one another. The the autoinducers that they are emitting are only keyed to members of that bacteria. In other words, you can think of it like a key that will only fit a specific lock. But they can also emit 
other auto-inducers that are more universal, that all bacteria can accept. The microbes are uniting against us. They kind of are. Although uh, researchers suspect that this grew out of a competition for resources between different species. Uh, There's one particular auto-inducer called AI2, which a whole lot of species are keyed into, and, and it seems like like quorum sensing espionage goes on between species to like try to confuse different different other bugs. Yes. Mm. So in other words, of resources. you might have one population Whoa. of bacteria accepting these saying, oh, all right, now we know who else is out there, but we're not going to say anything. We're, we're only going to communicate using our own specific language. And that way we can prepare and unleash the dogs of war. When and we, we can trick them into calming down for a while. Oh, right. really? So there's also microbial disinformation. Sort of. It's really more of a decision about whether to communicate or not, right? The idea being mm-hmm. like, do you reveal that you are there or do you keep it secret so that you can build up your resources to a point where you then switch it on and attack? Um, keep in mind, like, there are a lot of bacteria that are very much protective of a host. And then there are other bacteria that can be very harmful. So it behooves the harmful bacteria to kind of keep things on the quiet before – going, you know, ballistic. Uh, right. To, to have enough of a population to really do what it's intending to do before the host's immune system can figure it out. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, we've already kind of talked about some of these different genetic expressions. There are also cases where the population density actually informs the bacteria to turn off expression. Uh, one of these is in cholera. Uh, cholera, if the population gets too dense, then essentially the message goes out to, hey, guys, let's calm it down a little bit. We're going to kill this guy. Yeah. And we want to be able to uh, to spread this as much as possible. That's our purpose. But if we go crazy, then the host may die as a result or in the case of cholera, the uh, the victim may end up experience, experiencing severe diarrhea, which then – pretty much pushes out tons of the bacteria as a result. So it all depends upon the actual bacteria and what its quote-unquote goals are, like what what its survival strategy is. And that determines whether or not it's turning on a gene once it hits a certain density or turning off a gene once it hits a certain density. Uh, right. So there are lots of different research teams studying quorum sensing and looking for ways to either disrupt it or artificially stimulate it. So they're looking into the, the chemicals and the enzymes that are used in the process, plus the mechanisms that the bacteria have for creating and detecting these signals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that leads us to the article that uh, made us want to talk about this today. It was an interesting article in Scientific American from August of 2015 about what what they called molecular tweeting right. in the study of bacterial communication. Now, this doesn't mean bacteria literally using Twitter. No, they are not no. limited to 140 characters. <laughs> no, but I wonder – oh, I can't come up with a good – joke there. I do wonder <laughs> I do wonder if they occasionally attempt to tweet out a pizza slice in hopes that Domino's will deliver to them. <laughs> Don't we Does all? that happen? Is that yeah, you haven't seen those commercials? No. Yeah, that's a new thing where you can tweet out a Yeah, just a, tweet a, an emoji. Emoji of a pizza slice and you order yourself a pizza. But what if it's not the kind of pizza you want? I think you I think you've set up a profile to say what type of pizza you want whenever you send that oh, emoji. Oh, it's not gluten-free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a, a, a new bit of research about bacterial communication. So it was a team of researchers at 
Carnegie Mellon University, led by the engineering professor Radu Markulescu. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to use Twitter as a model to sort of help us visualize or understand different types of bacterial communication, how bacteria communicate with each other to form antibiotic-resistant superstructures called biofilms. Yeah, this is interesting to me because it, it's when you might ask why Twitter, but if you've ever if you've ever noticed something when something begins to trend on Twitter, it's hit a certain density, mm-hmm. like a pop culture density within Twitter itself, and that's kind of what they were comparing uh, the the behavior of bacteria to. That if you have enough people sending out this one little message, whether it's a hashtag or whatever, and then it catches on, that could be similar to the way a bacterial uh, community sends out these messages to the point where it hits that population density. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really clever metaphor. And also it is completely scientifically factual that people on Twitter will form uh, slimy yet protective surfaces <laughs> against which the greater population is is protected. I've been there. I've seen it. We should it's talk about what these surfaces are. What yes. are you actually referring to? So large numbers of bacteria can communicate with one another to work together to form biofilm that protects them from threats. So a bacterium floating along individually in water is something we would refer to as planktonic. That's planktonic bacteria. You can think of it kind of like plankton in the ocean. It's little bits floating along by themselves. Mm -hmm. They're free swimming. But biofilms are structures that are created when microorganisms like bacteria fix themselves down to a surface, and they form dense conglomerations. So instead of using resources to build structures like flagella that help them swim along, they divert those resources and instead use them to build extracellular matrix, uh, which is a kind of slime or polymer film that forms a protective structure around the bacteria. And these large bacterial films might be thought of as a kind of multicellular organism made out of former single-celled organisms. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. Especially <laughs> no, it's so good, though. They Come can, on. Yeah, it's gross because they can form inside your body. Uh, bacterial films can be really bad for us because they have tougher defenses and they can linger inside the body for a long time and cause chronic infections. They're much more resistant to your uh, to your immune system mm-hmm. and to antibiotics because of these protective structures and matrices that they form. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like going back to Star Trek, going like, like divert all power to the forward shields. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, it's a community of a power grid adding to a single point of, of shielding. Right. But how do brainless, single-celled little critters decide to do this? Like, how do they figure out when they can form a, a biofilm instead of just and, and how that will help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the CMU researchers that were referred to in the Scientific American article started by observing bacteria in the process of coming together to form biofilms. So they got some bacteria, set them to work and observed what they did. And they were trying to observe the specific conditions under which biofilm growth takes place. And then they used that information to make some software that could simulate the behavior of bacteria undergoing biofilm growth. And this is the real outcome of this study is, is, the, is the idea that we can create simulations of how bacteria communicate with one another under these circumstances, which can help us learn how to defeat them once and for all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
even if you could just because uh, we've talked about, or, or rather, scientists have talked about uh, either replacing or or restricting communication among bacteria as a means to keep them from being able to form these defensive measures or to uh, uh, delay virulence or, or uh, any pathogenesis, other pathogenesis. Yeah. That the idea that if we can mess up their communication lines, then they'll never know that they're at the stage where they could unleash the Kraken. Right. Uh, so what does all this have to do with Twitter? We mentioned Twitter, Twitter a minute ago. Well, it was pretty interesting that Twitter user behavior proved to be a really interesting metaphor for three different behavior models that they used in their simulations of bacteria. So there's, let's call them type one through three. Type 1 bacteria tweets and retweets, and what it tweets and retweets are signaling molecules, those things you talked about Mm -hmm. in quorum sensing earlier. Uh, So it sends out messages to build biofilm, and it relays the messages to build biofilm that it receives. Okay. Type 2 bacteria tweets but doesn't retweet. So it sends out messages, it sends out the signaling molecules, but it doesn't retweet the messages it receives. And then type 3, this is interesting, is lurker bacteria. These are these are the ones that don't post, they don't repost, they just absorb. Yeah, they're listening. <laughs> yeah, so they sit there and they they don't send a relay messages but instead just create their own materials to grow biofilm. And uh, according to the Scientific American article, Mark Huleskew is going to be presenting research on this subject at the Association for Computing Machinery Conference on Bioinformatics, Computational Biology and Health Informatics. Which is going to be right here in Atlanta, starting on September 9th. Which so is tomorrow. Right, exactly. As so it's going to be taking place between the time that we record and this episode goes live. So if he says something world shattering, and you all already know about it by the time you hear this, whoops. But we'll, we'll uh, if you, if it's earth shattering, we will also address it in a future episode <laughs> yeah. where we're like, hey, here's some stuff that happened since we recorded. Yeah, this is all really interesting to me. And uh, I, a lot of information that I was not aware of before we started doing the research. Yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting about this is it's yet another example of people trying to create computer simulations to solve problems. This is something that comes up a lot on this show, I think. Uh, because, And it's interesting because simulations like these are going to be incredibly helpful, but by themselves, they will never solve a problem. They're just tools that help us work out what we need to test to figure out how to fight these things. Uh, Right. And how to best use our resources. Because if you just dig in there and you go like, okay, bacteria, let's try sending this chemical at you, (laughs) then that's that's a less good way of going about your spending your research time and money. Yeah. And I think it's sort of part of a larger narrative that uh, it's all about modeling the real world mm-hmm. in simulation. Like uh, how how close to the complex behaviors of real world phenomena can we get with computer programs? Obviously, the closer we can get, the more we can test in the virtual space rather than testing in the physical space before we know what the answer is. But there's always going to be that gap between simulation and reality. Yeah, and and also we should mention that uh, even if we really crack the code on this and it becomes a means for us to combat bacterial infections in a new way, uh, there's nothing to say that this is 
the end of disease or anything, bacterial, oh, and, sure. you know, ba- uh, even bacterial vectors. It's not the end of disease. Um, that's something that is important to remember. But it could certainly give us an advantage in the foreseeable future, but there's nothing saying that further down the line there won't be another uh, mutation or advantage that makes this less effective or as Dr. Ian Malcolm would say, life finds, finds a, way. a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really the bottom line uh, in the story of evolution, isn't it? Because we're fighting against evolution, and that's a battle you can't in the long term win. Well, extinction. Well, you, yeah, you could actually. <laughs> I think, but you could completely eradicate a species or you could – I mean I guess you could impose limitations so harsh that they come down to the laws of physics and no adaptation. Yeah, but would, uh, I it, mean like you, you can't have an organism that adapts to – 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. In, in, but in, in most of those cases, it requires uh, action so extreme that we would be uh, negatively impacting ourselves in the process. Uh, yeah, yeah, and either way, you can never discount the idea that some nice old man who's very fond of wearing Cuban shirts and carrying a cane is going to come along and <laughs> purposefully recreate murderous creatures. Well, we just rewrote Jurassic Park. So wait, hold on. Now the story is that the 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 friendly old billionaire creates MRSA again. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like everyone in the world Guys, has the chance to enjoy this MRSA. I'm ready. I'm ready to call it right now. That amusement park is gonna suck. <laughs> well, oh, they just built the Ebola yeah. wing. Yeah. <laughs> Lick this surface. <laughs> well, with that in mind, I I will invite all of you to infect us. <laughs> with your ideas for future episodes. If you have any suggestions for topics that we should cover in future episodes of Forward Thinking, whether it's the podcast or the video, you should let us know. You can send us a message to our email address that is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. At Twitter and Google+, we are fwthinking. Search fwthinking in Facebook's search bar. We will pop right up and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.